Good morning and welcome to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. It's 7 a.m. on this Tuesday, February 6th. We are H-8 as we look towards the beginning of Lent. We'll talk more about that later. What do we mean by H-8? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are continuing our pre-Lenten countdown today. We'll have another segment with Father Peter Pompicello talking about the Novena, Operation Ashes to Glory as we get ready for Lent. And today we're going to focus on prayer in the part of the interview that we are going to bring you. We also have uh, Father Joseph Hill joining us. Father Hill is one of the vocation directors for the Jesuits here in the United States. And he's going to share some wonderful news for us. We're going to have an opportunity to venerate one of the North American martyrs. So we'll have more with Father Hill in just a little bit. We do have a lot in the show today, so let's go straight to Mike Roberts for our Saint of the Day. This is the feast day of St. Paul, Miki, and companions who were martyrs. Born in Japan in 1562, he was the son of wealthy parents and educated by Jesuits. Growing up with a desire to serve the Lord, Paul became a Jesuit priest himself and was an outstanding preacher and evangelist, enabling the rapid and significant growth of the Catholic community. During the reign of Emperor Toyotomi Hideyoshi, Christians came under intense persecution as he worked to unite Japan and drive out those he considered imperialists. Arrested in Kyoto with a large number of other priests, laymen, including men, women, and children of all ages, they were forced to march 600 miles to Nagasaki. There, 26 of those who survived the march were crucified on a hill now known as Holy Mountain. Children were among those martyred. He was hung from a cross, and having been pierced with a lance, Paul was amazingly still able to deliver a sermon. I did not come from any other country. I am a true Japanese. The only reason for my being killed is that I have taught the doctrine of Christ. I thank God it is for this reason I die. After Christ's example, I forgive my persecutors. I ask God to have pity on all, and I hope my blood will fall on my fellow men as fruitful rain. It was to Nagasaki that St. Maximilian Kolbe would go some 400 years later to build a Franciscan friary, which was still standing at the end of the day on August 6, 1945, after the Americans dropped the atomic bomb. Nagasaki is home to the largest population of Catholics in all of Japan. St. Paul, Miki, and companions, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. When we were preparing for our next segment, I I said to someone, you know, it seems like the saints are just going all over the place now, which spiritually, I mean, they're they're in heaven. They can intercede for us wherever we're at. But it's neat to see how there are these opportunities more and more every year to go and venerate their relics. And that's what I mean when I say the saints are starting to go all over the place now. It, it seems like it wasn't too long ago we were sharing with you about a couple of relic visits to St. Louis, and we have another one to share with you. This one is uh, very dear to my heart. 
And here to tell us about it is Father Joseph Hill from the Jesuits. Uh, he was the chaplain at St. Louis U High when we first met, but now he's doing some great work in vocations. Father, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, Adam. So tell us who's coming to St. Louis here at the end of February. Well, so St. Jean de Brebeuf, uh, the North American martyr who labored mightily in the Huron Territory in Northern Ontario in the 17th century, we have his skull, which is at the Midland, the shrine in Midland, Ontario, and we're bringing it down and taking it on a month-long tour of the United States. So we're going to be in St. Louis on the 25th of February. Wow. I spent many a day in high school in the North American Martyrs Chapel at St. Louis U High. It was a quiet place to go pray. There was a good amount of sunlight that came in, and you know you didn't have the noise of the hallways like you did at the main chapel during the school day. So it was a nice, quiet place. And I always wondered as a student, you know, who are these North American Martyrs, and why do we have a chapel named after them? here in our high school. And over the years, I've gotten to know a little bit, but for our listeners who don't know, Father, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, so St. John de Brebeuf was from Normandy, and the Normans were a big, strong people. He was a farmer. He grew up on a farm, and then he went to the Jesuit school and then entered the Jesuits. And, you know, he was not a great academic, and so those guys tended to be put more to work in the colleges with the younger students and then just, you know, he was a very good organizer and good at keeping up the buildings and things like that. So he did a lot of work as like uh, in the finances of the school and then in the maintenance of the physical building. And then he also taught students. But eventually he volunteered for the mission as New France was getting going in Quebec. The Jesuits were asked to send missionaries over there. So he was of the first wave of missionaries that were sent uh, to New France. They landed in Quebec City, and then they were in Montreal. And it was actually him and two Franciscans who first went north up the river, following basically the trade routes, the fur trade routes of the Indians, and started a mission with what the French called the Huron, or what was called also the Windet peoples in northern Ontario. It was about a 30-day canoe journey from Montreal to that territory. So he labored there for three years, but then the the British actually attacked and took uh, Montreal, so they had to leave. And he went back to France, and then he was sent back again after the French took the territory back. And then they sent a group of, of Jesuit missionaries north, and he was actually this first Jesuit superior of the mission there, and he labored there for six years. Uh, he was known for his physical strength. He was a big, strong Norman farmer. And so the Indians called him he who carries the heavy load because he could just, you know, pick the canoe up by himself and kind of carry it. And they did a lot of portages on the journey. And so they were impressed by his strength. Obviously, for the Indians, that was uh, something quite valuable. But he was also very, very gentle. And he spent a lot of time, uh, especially at the beginning, just literally tending the sick and looking after the needs of, let's say, the poor Indians. Um, helping them in different ways. He had a, a very, very generous soul. And he became an expert on the language. He was the one who wrote the first dictionary of Huron and the first grammar and really dominated the language to the extent where they could not tell that he had acquired it. He spoke really like a native. And his missionary strategy was enculturation, essentially. They did not 
build like some some big you know structures or anything like that they lived in tents they lived exactly as the huron lived and they tried to enculturate themselves as much as possible to the culture and the language in order to form those bonds build that trust and also preach the gospel but it was not an easy mission either physically or spiritually they suffered greatly uh, just with the physical conditions it was very dirty it was you know for the europeans this was a uh, a very, very primitive circumstances in the winters, extremely cold. And in the summer, mosquitoes and gnats and, and all kinds of uh, insects attack them, as they talk about in their letters. And then spiritually, the Wendat were not very open or responsive to uh, the missionaries at the beginning and to the message of the gospel. There was a lot of superstition. And of course, there was the, the natural religion. So it took them many years. In fact, if you take the first three years and then the second three years, it was six full years of Jean de Brebeuf being in the territory before they baptized their first adult Christian. So that's quite a bit of work. It sounds like there's some great lessons for us as we are focusing so much on evangelization right now in the church. And, you know, among them, don't feel like you're going to go in and on day one say, I want to talk to you about this and, and have success. Don't be uh, disheartened. It could be six years if if you're following St. John and companions there. Yeah, no, they we, we have a lot of their letters. In fact, all of the letters of the missionaries, most of them we have published in English in this multi-volume work called the Jesuit Relations. So we know a lot about what they did and also a lot about the Indians and their culture. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a long, very tiring process of spiritual accompaniment and you know, patience, patience yeah. and prayer and sacrifice. You know, I think of the times that we travel, and every time we travel, I, I know I'm going to miss something, I'm going to want something, it's not going to be there. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, but we'll get back home. You know, I can live without this for a week or two, you know. And, and the, the first world problems, the Airbnb doesn't have the type of knife I like to use when I'm preparing dinner or the type of cutting board that's the size I prefer. But I'll get I'll get back home. Oh, the mattress isn't just right or the pillow's not my pillow. And then, uh, but I'll get back home in a week and it'll be okay. And here he's saying yes to you. I'm going to leave pretty much everything behind except what we can fit in the canoe, what we can carry and I'm going to go live where there is nothing that I'm used to, all for the sake of the gospel. And that's that's pretty inspiring, Father. Yeah, yeah, it is. I would say they were driven by an incredible faith. I mean, that's the first thing. They believed, you know, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believed that it was necessary for salvation to believe in Jesus and to be baptized. So they were driven by this incredible fire and zeal to to bring about or help bring about the salvation of souls. So that's why they were willing to endure so much physical hardship. Yeah, this fire, zeal, yeah. faith, love, uh, love for the Indians. We hear that in the letters over and over again. But yeah, in terms of the hardships, it's very funny because he wrote, St. John of Brebeuf wrote a instruction to Jesuits back in France who were considering joining the mission. And he lays out the problems and the struggles that they will go through in no uncertain terms. And I can just read you one or two of these quotes because they're very funny uh, and you know challenging. He says, um, it is true that love is strong as death and that the love of God has power to do what death does, that is to detach us entirely from creatures and even from ourselves. These impulses we feel to work for the salvation of the unbelievers, however, 
are not always a sure sign of that pure love. There may be sometimes a little self-esteem and self-seeking in them if we look only to the blessing and satisfaction to be reaped from putting souls in heaven and do not maturely consider the pains, labors, and difficulties inseparable from all evangelical activities. So there you go. Wow. That, I mean, that's, that's a lot to process just in that one little quote right there. But um, one of the things he brings up is love, Father. And that's, I think, an important point, because especially in our culture today, as we look at the past and we look at missionaries like uh, the Jesuits, we look at, um, you know, I, I'm very fond of St. Junipero Serra as a member of the Serra Club. And, and he gets a bad rap for, you know, he went around doing this, that, and the other thing. But that motivation is key. Is is this, we want to have domination over another people? No, it's we believe that you can't have salvation without the faith. And it'd be real easy to say, you don't have it, and it'd be hard to give it to you, so I'm going to stay home, and uh, good luck out there. But that's not what they did. They said, we care about people we don't know. We love these people that we've never met so much that we're willing to sacrifice, and as you said, to be willing to be detached from everything to go share the gospel with them. You know, why is that so important to remember as we look back, especially in this time that we're living in, where we're judging everything by the standards of 2024, we look at some of these missionaries. Why is it so important to keep that part in focus, that it's their love of our Lord and love of the gospel that compelled them to go? I mean, what other motivation was there? They weren't selling a product. They weren't, um, and they weren't colonizers either. I mean, there were no French colonies in Huron territory throughout the entire time of the mission. So the Indians lived independent. In actual fact, they prospered under, with the trade that they had with the French, they were able to basically be like intermediaries between different tribes in the fur trade. So actually the Huron benefited from interaction with the French. That's one of the reasons why the Iroquois attacked them and um, and then ended up destroying the mission. But yeah, so I mean, what other what other motivation can there be? And how can we endure? How can anyone endure such struggles and sacrifices if not for love? I love it. I love it. I mean, why did God become human? Why did Jesus, you know, take on empty himself and take on the form of man and then humble himself and become obedient unto death? Out of love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the missionaries continue that love. And without that, there is no mission. So then taking that to the next part of the story here, I mean, it's one thing to say, all right, I'll give up the creature comforts of home for who knows how long, certainly more than a week, uh, as you said, 30 days by canoe just to get there, six years of ministry before they have their first baptism. It's interrupted, having to go back to France. Then they come back to the territory. They continue the work. Um, but at some point, we know it, it takes that ultimate turn because we refer to St. Jean de Brebeuf and companions as the North American martyrs, not the North American. They had a happy ending uh, and died peacefully at a ripe old age of 75. Yeah, no, they, they were martyred. Um, there were eight martyrs in total. Uh, well, what happened was there was, a, there was a war between the Iroquois who were to the south and basically what would now be considered upstate New York and the Huron, which were in the north in Ontario. And the Iroquois had a vision of trying to unite all of the tribes and thus then be in a stronger position to negotiate with the French. And so they had to take out the Huron, which were most closely aligned with the French, just in terms of their trade. 
And the Jesuits were sort of caught in between this. And so as they were making their journeys up to the mission in the canoes, you know, early on, like um, the first actually Jesuit who was captured was uh, St. Isaac Jogues. And he was taken to an Iroquois village and he was tortured and basically lived as a slave in danger of death for many months before actually there were some Dutch traders from New York who helped him escape. And then he went back to France and then he came back. But he and Brebeuf never actually uh, worked together. They knew each other, but not very well. So the Jesuits were caught in this war, basically, and these Iroquois war parties were crossing the St. Lawrence River and attacking the Hurons and other tribes as well. There were there were a number of other tribes uh, involved. And, you know, th- during one of these attacks, they destroyed a village and then St. John de Brebeuf and St. Gabriel Aumont went to see if they could find survivors. This was in the winter, in the snow, it was very cold. And, you know, the, the village was destroyed. The, some of the buildings were still burning. And it was during that time that then they were captured and then they were tortured uh, pretty mercilessly. Uh, the Iroquois were were a fairly uh, violent people, I don't know, um, certainly two prisoners. And yeah, they were tortured. Some of the things we have an account of their martyrdom because some of the Indians escaped. Some there were a few Jesuits and then uh, a number of Indian Christians who were taken by the Iroquois. But eventually, I think the Iroquois got drunk or something, and then they fell asleep, and some of them were able to escape after they killed the Jesuits. But yeah, so uh, in mock of baptism, boiling water was poured poured over them. Uh, they they created a necklace of hatchets and uh, heated the hatches up to burning you know red hot and then put them on Saint John de Brebeuf in order to burn him so he couldn't you know relieve himself either by leaning forward or back and you, we often see in depictions of Saint John de Brebeuf you see the uh, the necklace of hatchets hatchet heads I should say um, and there were a number of other things but eventually uh, they killed him and actually they cut out his heart and ate it because wow. he showed such bravery and such strength that they wanted it. They wanted to, to have that strength in them. He, he carried another heavy load, as uh, yes, we said earlier. Very heavy. You know, in our Catholic tradition, this is one of those things that we don't just move on and say, well, those guys were great, but uh, at a certain point, their heroic virtue is recognized. There were investigations. They're canonized. We believe firmly that they are in heaven. And that it's a beautiful thing that we can ask for their intercession. We can ask them to pray for us. We can be inspired by their example, by their writings, by all these things that you shared with us. And so the opportunity um, to do all of that is available to us each and every day. But the opportunity to venerate their relics, that's something that it certainly, uh, if, if we're going to talk about Catholic things that the culture looks at and says, wait, you're going to do what here? Um, the idea of we're going to take the skull of this martyr and we're going to go traveling pretty much east of the Continental Divide throughout the United States, offering everyone a chance to pray uh, with this relic is certainly a little different um, from what, you know, usually it's it's the rock stars that go on tour, not the skulls. So, Father, tell us a little bit about why you're taking the relic around for these opportunities of veneration. And then what are we supposed to do when we get there? Because it's one thing to say, okay, be here on this date, at this time, at this location, be in line. And then when you get to the front of the line, you still have to figure out, well, what do I do? What's the appropriate thing to do? 
Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned rock stars because I think there's just a basic anthropomorphic, anthropological reason why we have devotion to relics. And it's the same reason why people want to buy Tom Brady's, you know, Super Bowl winning jersey. And, you know, why do we give the match ball to the best player on the day? And why do people, you know, buy Taylor Swift memorabilia and these sorts of things? We are we are an embodied people. And these physical items that are connected to particular people uh, have a symbolic value that we that we understand. I mean, every all human beings and all cultures have understood that even in our very secular postmodern culture, uh, people still have this sense. And people are willing to pay a lot of money for for these items. Now, when we take actual relics, like pieces of, of people, of saints and martyrs' bodies, the first thing is we we believe that this body will rise again. We believe in the resurrection, and the resurrection is a physical act like it was for Jesus, so it will be for us, St. Paul says. So this is the body that will be resurrected on the last day and join the rest of the saints in the new Jerusalem. So there's a connection there to the final end of, of the world that is very powerful. But then, you know, where is the saint now? Where is St. Jean de Brebeuf now? We believe that he is in heaven and he is enjoying, as Thomas Aquinas would say, the beatific vision, the vision of God. And so he is in a powerful place uh, of receiving incredible grace and love from God. And by drawing close to his physical remains, in a sense, we draw close to also his spiritual place. And so it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's a way in which we can also draw close to, to him in heaven, I would say, through that mediation. And, you know, that's also very powerful. And then, of course, his intercession, because he stands before God he is able to intercede for us in a, in a special way. We are further from God, obviously. Well, at least I feel very much further from God. And, and so we believe the prayers of the saints have a power that is beyond, let's say, the prayers just of people here in this world. And so that's why we ask for their intercession. Yeah, we don't worship them. We don't worship the, the body of St. John Brebeuf. We venerate it in order to draw closer to Christ, in order to draw closer to the Trinity, and we ask for his intercession um, to obtain favors from God, right? Not from him. He's not the source of power. So I think of my wedding ring. I'm going I'm to use this mm -hmm. as an example here. Um, it's a ring. And if it weren't attached to the meaning that it has, that it, you know, if my wife gave me this ring on our wedding day as a sign of her love and fidelity in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit— Sure, it has its value because it's made of gold, but beyond that, it doesn't have much value. But I would never, you know, I always take it off before I'm going to do something where my hands would get dirty because I don't want it to get dirty. I don't want it to be soiled. Or I would never really um, want it to be exposed to anything that would dishonor our marriage. You know, we're very careful with wedding rings. Uh, and I, I say that because I feel like this is a crude analogy for what you just said to us, is that, you know, we we believe that this skull that's going to be traveling around the country one day will be in heaven. And because we know it will be in the presence of God, we're going to treat it different than we might treat, you know, the, this cup that I just happen to have here on the table with me, because that cup's probably, at the end of time, not even going to be around. And so just like I honor this ring because it takes me back to our marriage, we honor this relic because it takes us not 
back to St. John de Brebeuf. He, he's part of the journey, but ultimately it's taking us, reminding us uh, that we're going to God on this. Is that, is right. that, am I understanding this correctly? Is that, are we on the right track? Yeah, that's here? right. That's correct. And remember that the veneration of relics goes all the way back to the early church. The very first altars that were built in Rome were built on the tombs of the martyrs. And that's where the, that's where the faithful would congregate in the catacombs, in these, in these areas where these holy martyrs were, were buried. And there was a time in which you could not celebrate a mass without a relic because of that tradition. So this goes all the way back to the beginning of Christianity. And yes, I mean, this, it's a, it's a way, it's a means, it's a sacramental mediation of, of God's presence. And also we, you know, it's like with the incarnation itself, why did God become human in order to inter, interact with us on our level? Right to communicate with us, uh, to enter into our reality, and in a sense, like why does God permit, let's say, or why does the church encourage the veneration of relics? Because it helps us, and God uses this because He understands that we are physical beings and that we need physical signs and so on in order to understand His action in the world, and so He uses it for our faith to increase our faith, not to give some special power to some special object like magic, but through our faith to draw us closer to him, through the intercession and mediation of the relic of a saint. I'm already thinking uh, I, I'm going to have to add St. Jean de Brebeuf to my list of, of patrons as a father, just because of what you said about how he, he, they called him the, the bearer of heavy loads or the carrier of heavy loads. And I, I think spiritually as a father sometimes for the family, that's what we do a lot as we seek to raise children is we take on a lot of those, uh, not just mental loads, spiritual loads, emotional loads, but also the physical ones. I mean, we were looking at pictures last night of when the kids were little, and I remember having to pick up two toddlers at a time and carry them through to make sure that they didn't get left behind. And um, I, I, I've got to do some more reading now. You've given us a great saint to, to dive a little deeper with. February 25th is the date here in St. Louis. Yeah. And I know the details are still being worked out, but what can you share with us today? Yeah, so we'll be at the cathedral Veneration will begin around 2.30 p.m., and then we'll have veneration in the afternoon. There's a vigil mass, and then there'll be an evening program with a talk on the life of St. Jean de Brebeuf at 6.30 p.m., and then open veneration, and we're going to finish with Vespers. So we'll see. I don't know. We don't know how many people are going to show up. We've never done this before. We are we are entrusting ourselves to God's providence, and we're hoping, anyway, that the presence of this great missionary and martyr will help inspire especially the young people to become missionaries themselves and we are in a time where we need missionaries we you know are. that that famous now popular tract written by the university of mary from christendom to apostolic mission we are in an apostolic age christendom is over people do not come to church because their parents did or because maybe even they were baptized they only come to church because they have been evangelized, they've come to encounter Christ, and they've come to appropriate and believe that, and then try to live it out in their lives. And so we need missionaries today more than ever. And that's what we're hoping the presence of this saint will inspire in many young people. And what should we do when we get there? What we should do is, first of all, ask for his intercession. Is there a special intention that a person has for healing or the conversion, maybe, of of someone in their family or a close friend, um, or maybe they there's a personal grace that they're seeking, you know, so something very specific, ask for 
that grace through the intercession of St. John of Brebeuf, then we're going to have the opportunity for people to venerate the relic. So it's going to be in a glass case. The, the skull is going to be in a, this glass case and people can come and uh, pray in front of it and then, you know, kind of touch it, touch the case anyway, and, and then maybe even touch a card um, on the case and, and take that card away with them. Yeah. We hit, recently had a relic of St. Jude come through St. Louis yeah. and uh, I, I talked with several people who were able to go and they said there was just a great peace in going and, and being in line to venerate the relic, but then just spending time in prayer in the church. And that certainly after you go through the line and venerate the relic and, and God willing, there'll be a long line that day. That's, let's hope for that. Um, but then there's plenty of pews to pray in in the cathedral here in St. Louis, so you can spend some time in prayer. And especially 11 days after the start of Lent, this is a great opportunity if you're looking to do some extra prayer in the season of Lent. And as we are talking so much about evangelization and the need to be missionary disciples, uh, I think this is a great opportunity for all of us to go and spend some time asking the intercession of one of our missionaries that ministered right here in North America. One of the great examples we have for us, uh, the best part is you don't even need to have a canoe to be a missionary right now. You just have to be able to answer that question, why do you love Jesus so much? Why do you love God so much? And why do you want to share that love with others? Uh, Father, where can we go for the most up-to-date information and then to you know, also share the, the website with friends in case we know someone in one of the other cities where the relic will be visiting? Yeah, so the, the website is rebufftour24.org. That has the itinerary, it has every stop, and also the schedule for every stop, and some other information, quotes from Babuff, biography. We're working on the final versions of a video that we're going to put up there, and other great information. So tour and then 24, the, the number, .org. That's where you can find everything. And for those of you listening on the radio, we'll be sure to share that link with you in the podcast if you just go to ourcatholicradio.org. Um, I, I sometimes fail spelling tests in the morning, especially with uh, <laughs> names that are, are, are not Smith uh, or Hill or, or Wright. I, I sometimes have some trouble with those, but we'll be sure to share that link as well. Father, could I ask you to close us out with a prayer through uh, the, the Saints' intercession? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you as your humble servants. We ask for the intercession of St. Jean Brebeuf, that you fill our hearts with your love and your zeal for souls, that we might, as St. Jean de Brebeuf did, uh, proclaim your gospel to all of creation and humbly and patiently accompany people in their spiritual journeys to you. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. St. Jean de Brebeuf. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Hill, thank you so much for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Those of you that have been listening on the radio, I've got some great news for you. There's actually a little bit more to the conversation than what you've heard on the radio today, which is another reason to visit the Roadmap to Heaven podcast at ourcatholicradio.org or wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back after this. Well, if you are looking for the pearl of great price and you're wondering, how do I do that through the season of Lent? I've got some good news for you. We are spending all week with uh, Father Peter Pompicello, who is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York, currently on assignment with the Military Archdiocese of the United States. 
And we sat down with him last week to talk about Operation Ashes to Glory, a Lent, pre-Lenten novena. It started last night on his Instagram Live at uh, father.unclesam on Instagram. And today we are at H-8, which means we are eight days away from Lent beginning. And so we're going to continue our mission brief here with Father Pompicello on Roadmap to Heaven today. As we dive back in today, we're going to hear about prayer. Father, you gave me some specifics when we were getting ready for today that it's not just about saying, okay, this Lent, you know, more intense prayer. I'm going to pray. You want us to commit to a couple things when it is H day and we're going to hit the ground running in prayer. What are those things? So when it, when it comes to prayer, let's talk about prayer. I think it's very important for us and, and throughout the year, but let's use Lent. Let's use Lent as a time of training to train ourselves in this. When it comes to prayer, I, I would advise the audience three things. First thing is to pray for a certain amount of time, a defined amount of time at a particular time of day and in a particular place. I, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate as, as a priest. And even, even though I'm on active duty in the, in the special assignment, I still get to live. I, I live in a rectory at St. Agnes Church in Baltimore. And this is my, this is my, my, re, my rectory chapel. And I have this beautiful stained glass. I have a wonderful altar in front of me. And this is a, a spot which I know is, is here for me. I make a conscious decision to come here at, at certain times of the day for a certain amount of time. And that's going to strip away my feelings toward prayer. Think of a professional athlete. Could you imagine if a, if a football player only went to the gym and worked out when he felt like it? He's not going to be very effective as a professional athlete. We need the discipline of an athlete. And I think it comes down to praying for a prescribed amount of time, whether it's five minutes, half an hour, whatever it is that that you feel the Lord is calling you to and that you can commit to realistically, just like going to the gym. We don't go to the gym day one and think we're going to bench press 600 pounds. We may have to build up to it. So give yourself a realistic, attainable goal for the amount of time you're going to pray and then pick a spot in your house. Pick a time in your house that you know it's going to be quiet, that you know that you can maybe you sacrifice, you fast a little bit from sleeping and you get up, you get up maybe 10 minutes early to consecrate that time to the Lord. Now, our, uh, our good friend, St. Jose Maria Escrivá, and I say our good friend because he's a saint. He's praying for all of us, and we can follow his example. He calls that moment the heroic moment. You know, right off the bat, alarm goes off. Get up. Mean it. Commit. Do what you said you were going to do. Resist that temptation for comfort and say, Lord, I may. It, it may be cold outside of these covers. It may be comfy in the bed. I might still be tired, but I'm going to give up all of that comfort for you. And then to couple that with, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to get up and pray. I imagine uh, we're, we're lobbing some... Holy hand grenades at the enemy with that one, Father, when we're making that sacrifice first thing in the morning and saying, I'm getting up early. I'm not a morning person, but I'm going to get up early and I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. Who's going to regret that? How could you ever regret doing that? And really, it's kind of like we're going into the second part already. Now you're incorporating a certain discipline of fasting. You know, you're going to you're going to fast from this. Maybe you fast from the snooze button this Lent. Maybe you're a snooze person. I, I know I'm I, you know, I flip. I don't know. I, I I don't know how, how, how you deal with it. Like for me, I'm, I'm, the kind, I'm the kind of guy that either wakes up before the alarm and then it's going off while I'm in the bathroom and it just keeps going off. Or I, 
I wake up with the alarm, like, and, and it's like, all right, well, let me, let me build in my snooze. Like, I'm not, I want to get up at five, so I'll set the alarm for 4.50, and then I'll get up. Maybe, maybe you limit your snooze. Maybe you don't snooze at all. Maybe you only give yourself one. But some kind of offering, some kind of training discomfort, it's, it's a real way to get to affect us body and soul and make an offering for Lent. I remember when I was a, a young kid and, you know, we were talking about what are you going to give up for Lent? Uh, oh, I'm going to give up asparagus. I hated asparagus. I still hate asparagus. I'm going to give up Brussels sprouts. We all thought we were the smartest kid in the school. You know, I'm giving up something. I'm not going to miss it at all. And we would get afraid. Father would be like, well, you know, if I give up this, how am I going to go an entire season of Lent without this? I don't think I can do that. I don't know what I can, you know. And again, this is one of those reasons I thought, oh, we got to get Father Peter on. We got to talk to Father Uncle Sam because you, you want to talk about. Oh, I don't know that I could live without this. Talk to a guy who's been deployed. Talk to someone in the service, whether it's a service man, a service woman, whether it's the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, uh, you know, the Air Force, what, what, the National Guard, the Reserves, whatever it is. You learn a lot about what you can give up. Oh, I can't give up my chocolate or my cookies, Father, but yet when you got deployed, how many times did you have to eat MREs out there in the desert, on, you know, sleeping under the stars in a, in a tent? And I'm thinking, oh, I can't give up a cookie here for 40 days. You know, the Army, there's so much wisdom in the way the Army trains. The Army proves to the, the soldiers. It, the, the soldiers are given a proof of what they're capable of. That's the beauty of the discipline. And we all have that affection. We've seen the war movies, the Army movies. You know, they're getting up early and basic training and all that. Nobody enjoys it. But the fruits of the discipline are there. And how much better if we can discipline ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to give myself to Lent in a very meaningful way. I'm going to plan for it. I'm going to plan for my prayer in the way I pray. Maybe this is the Lent that you learn a new prayer, that you memorize a new prayer. Take a traditional prayer and make it your Lenten prayer. You say it every day at the same time of day. You're going to own that prayer. It's going to be a part of you. Maybe you're going to pray with a book that's been on the shelf, you've been meaning to read. You take that book off the shelf. This is going this is going to be my weapon for Lent. This is my arsenal, and I'm going to read chat, whatever it's going to take, a chapter a day to finish this book for Lent. That's the way we, we, we train and we pray through Lent. When we train like this, there are a couple things we can keep in mind, um, especially as we move from prayer into fasting. Fasting can be a food thing. It can be. I, you know, And I love some of the suggestions you shared with me earlier. Um, I'm going to give up snacks in between meals. That, that could be a Lenten practice that you do for your work of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And just to be clear, we're not talking about the, the mandatory, obligatory fasting on Ash Wednesday and yes, Good Friday, where correct. it's you know two small meals, one normal-sized meal. We're talking about just voluntary, I'm going to do some fasting here. It could be from food, which I think we should all consider. I think that's a very good starting point. It can be from stuff like this. like And I, and I think of men, and uh, unfortunately in our society, a growing number of women as well who struggle with things like internet pornography, who struggle with things like Oof. gossiping and calumny and the text message threads or the social media threads. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe that so-and-so did this? Whatever it may be to say, all right, well, then this is the year that when I go on deployment for Lent, I'm not taking the smartphone. I'm going old school. I'm bringing the flip phone or I'm bringing the, you know, the dumb phone, as I like to call it, or I'm restricting those apps. I'm having someone put the parental locks on my phone and they get the code. I don't get the code until Easter and I'm going without and we're doing and, and both of these options, Father, uh, they're good for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they train us. They, they, 
They discipline us. You know, I, I love the way you said it too. Lent is going to be a deployment for us. And you can fast. Traditionally, I think I think we all need to, to look at some kind of dietary restrictions on ourselves for Lent. Giving up favorite foods. I know, I know my sister, she gives up sugar in her tea and it drives her. She she misses it every morning. It, it, but it's something that you we feel and, and, and it's a constant reminder. Another creative one, I had, I had a friend, he gives up eating out during Lent. And that forces him to make lunch before he goes to work. So he like he plans his meal. Like, I, I got to bring a bag lunch and I'm not eating out. And if he forgets his bag lunch, he's going to feel it. it's like, no, I gave up eating out. These are these are simple things that, that unite our, our body and soul. And, and I love what you're saying about, you know, social media. It takes up it can take up so much of our time we can waste. I know I've wasted time on social media. We can give that time back to the Lord and we need to replace a habit with another habit. So maybe you say, well, normally I'd, I'd scroll and catch up on Facebook. Maybe you just tell your friends, hey, I'm off Facebook for, for Lent. And you use that time. That's where you find the time to read, to pray, just to, just to rest in the Lord. Yeah. How many times have we heard that term doom scrolling, where people are just on their phone going through the TikTok, yeah. uh, the Instagram reels, whatever app it is, and you just see them doing this, and you're like, what are you doing? Are you doing like right. a finger calisthenic right. there? No. Oh, you're just, you're just scrolling through uh, all these things online. And what do we really get out of it? You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest the answer is not much. It's just mind-numbing distraction from whether it's pain in life, the suffering in life. And, and we're going to come back to pain and suffering and all this, because when we talk about the training and the deployment and why we do all of this, I want to get to that because that's part of the ultimate answer. And that is something you're going to have to tune in for tomorrow here on Roadmap to Heaven as we get into more of Operation Ashes to Glory. Don't forget, you can catch the Novena Prayers live tonight on Father's Instagram page. He is on Instagram at fr.unclesam. That's fr as in father.unclesam. We are going to take a break to get you a daily dose of encouragement, and then we'll be back with you to wrap up the show. Well, did you do your homework yesterday? Did you sit down and spend some time in contemplation about our Lord and finish that sentence, this is the body that? This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we're using poetry to help us in prayer. And Patty, what is our reflection today? Well, yesterday's poem was from an anonymous Byzantine Greek author from the 4th century. Today, as we continue to look at Catholic poetry, I want to share a famous poem from the 4th century, Late Have I Loved You by St. Augustine of Hippo, which expresses his love for God and reminds us that God is always seeking us out, always searching and desiring to be in communion with us. So here's the poem from St. Augustine, Late Have I Loved You. Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within, but I outside seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong, I misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back far from you, those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance, I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. 
Oh, I love that poem. Perhaps some of you might recognize these words as the lyrics from a popular contemporary Christian song by Matt Maher. But did you know that it was originally a poem by St. Augustine? Augustine basically captured his conversion in these 13 lines. How would you capture your conversion story? Try to do it in 13 lines or so today. And if you don't have time to write 13 lines today, maybe just listen to Matt Maher's song and sing along, thanking God that he searched you out, called, shouted, broke through your deafness, all because he loves you. I'm already singing along in my head as we speak right now. Patty, thank you for another daily dose of encouragement. You might be saying to yourself, you know, I want to get very intentional about what I am going to do during this season of Lent that is coming up. And we are just a week and a day away, friends, from the beginning of Lent. Now, it may not have clicked for all of us that uh, this year as the calendar falls, Lent and Valentine's Day coincide. And we've got to make some choices. And I think this is the choice to make. Lent comes first. And uh, now you're saying to yourself, I'd like to do something romantic for that special someone in my life. Well, how about offering your prayer and fasting for that person, your almsgiving that day, and, you know, offering your intentions for them, going to God in prayer and, and giving the greatest gift you can, interceding for that person, saying, Lord, please, you know, fill in the, the blank of the intention there in your prayers for that person. And that might mean that, you know, you're saying, but well, well, we'd still like to go out. We'd still like to have a good date night. We'll do that this weekend. You know, do that in the lead up to Valentine's Day. But Lent, let Lent be first next week, Wednesday. Now, there are a couple great opportunities coming up that we want to remind you about. Uh, we've got Catholic Men for Christ, which will be a week from Saturday. We're just we're less than two weeks away from that. I will be there. Pete Burak's going to be there. We're going to have Pete on the show this week. Um, we also have Dr. Edward Shree coming for that. Uh, Sean Feltz is doing the music throughout the day, helping lead us in prayer and song. Archbishop Rosansky is going to be there for Mass. Father Anthony Wick is speaking as well. You might know him from White House Retreat. And so that is coming up. You can get more information. There is still time to register at catholicmenforchrist.org. That's catholicmenforchrist.org. And ladies, the Catholic Women for Christ Conference isn't that far away either. We're just a little over a month out from that. It's going to be a great day as well. And there's still time to register with an early bird discount at catholicwomenforchrist.org. That's catholicwomenforchrist.org. Now, the Society of Found Sheep invites you to join them as they gather in prayer as one Catholic family for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are no longer attending Mass or receiving the sacraments. Dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows, we are confident that by lifting up these souls to the Good Shepherd, he will hear our prayers and bring them back home to the Church. This month, we will be led in prayer and reflection by Carmelite Sister Magdalene Therese on Tuesday, a week from today, Tuesday, February 13th. That's next week, Tuesday at St. Clement of Rome Parish in De Pere at 7 p.m. in the church. Everyone is most welcome. And last but not least, I got a note from our good friend, Patty Schneier. You know Patty. You hear every day on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. 
And you may remember, Patty and I had a chance to meet some extraordinary people, Ken and Marianne DePong, the parents of Michelle DePong, former Focus missionary, who now we refer to by the title Servant of God, Michelle DePong, whose life bore witness to the heroic Christian suffering and passion to invite others to be transformed by the love of Christ. Well, you've probably heard us talk about her, and you may have heard that during Seek there was a documentary that was shown, and you're saying, oh, I'd really like to go see that documentary. And we told you at the time, we would let you know when that's possible. Well, I am happy to let you know. There will be a screening in St. Louis on February 28th at 7 p.m. Tickets are required. It's at the, uh, I want to say it's the Esquire Movie Theater on Clayton Road, 6706 Clayton Road in Richmond Heights. Now, you have to go somewhere for more information on this. You don't just go to the movie theater one for this. You're going to have to go to uh, Focus's website, but it's really easy. You just go to focus.org slash Michelle DePong, D-U-P-P-O-N-G. And if you really can't find it, contact us here at the station and we'll get it to you as well. But focus.org slash Michelle DePong, D-U-P-P-O-N-G. And on there you can watch a trailer for the film and you can see there's a link to get tickets to the upcoming screening in St. Louis on February 28th. That's a Wednesday evening. I've already got my tickets. I'm excited to go. I I didn't have the opportunity to see the documentary at Seek, but I know that Patty saw it. She loved it. And as soon as she found out, Adam, it's available. Here's what you need to do. She sent it to me right away and asked me to share it with you. And so that is what we are doing. If you have an event you'd like us to share with our listeners, by all means, do contact us here at the station. If we are able to do so, we will. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. And St. Jean de Brebeuf, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as always, thanks for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. It's a joy to start off the morning with you. Uh, You may hear it in my voice this week. I've got a little upper sinus thing going on, and I think I know what the root cause is, and we're hoping we can take this out. But, you know, as I lay awake in bed at about 3-something this morning saying, oh, this pressure is just so much fun. I'm really grateful for it. I, I stopped and I thought, well, you know, actually... I am really grateful for it because it's an opportunity. It's not that I go and I seek out sinus pressure. How can I have that? Um, But in that moment, God was offering me an opportunity to say, hey, you're awake. You're uncomfortable. You've got a little bit of pain. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to offer it for somebody who needs it? And it was a great reminder for me not to waste my suffering. So if you're in any pain today, don't waste your suffering. And don't forget to pray your rosary today.